good evening and welcome. You are listening to Gray Matters, your weekly media analysis, current events program here on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. My name is Jim Dwyer, and I'll be uh, doing the show tonight. Dick enjoying a uh, rock and roll festival concert over the weekend, and he's no doubt on his way back from that. Lovely weather we're having out there uh, this evening. Hopefully you can get outside and enjoy some of that. Take a, an invigorating walk. If you've been uh, trapped behind a desk or behind the wheel of something all day, uh, enjoy. This is prime weather here. Well, uh, begin the program tonight with a sort of a quick and fleeting brain damage award uh, that we'll perhaps go into more detail upon next week at uh, Mr. Whaley's return, but uh, shocking to hear on last week's uh, Dave Emery program that the Bush family apparently orchestrated and manipulated the Watergate scandal to remove a compliant or a non-compliant enough Richard Nixon from the office of the chief, chief executive, part of the uh, vast and far-reaching uh, Secret Reich uh, that Dave Emery speaks so often of, but uh, I find this attempt to uh, discredit uh, Nixon uh, for or to uh, sort of uh, disenable him from having orchestrated himself into that corner that we call the Watergate scandal uh, seems a rather startling revision of. Uh, what's known about the Watergate scandal. Of course, there are still many questions, and uh, Mr. Whaley and I have uh, long been of the opinion that really the best and proper way to treat the uh, imbroglio known as Watergate is in the form of comedy. And perhaps uh, someday before too much longer, he and I shall write that comic play in which uh, one of America's more intelligent Yet it's uh, almost certainly most paranoid president uh, self-destructed in a frenzy of self-analysis and taping. And uh, I suspect that there is some more information about the long-forgotten but uh, much worthy of uh, consideration still at this late date, Alger Hiss story that uh, Dick has been doing a lot of research on lately. And uh, still some interesting things to uh, be learned from what is in effect uh, a forgotten scandal from over half a century ago. Speaking of centuries, uh, I'll just quickly mention that we are on this date, June 28th, 2010, Two years away from the 300th anniversary of the birth of Swiss-French philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau, an important uh, intellectual influence upon the founding fathers of this nation, and a writer whose works, I would guess, most Republicans and right-wingers uh, working today would probably be appalled at uh, a number of Rousseau's ideas so formative in the intellectual endeavor that gave us the country in which we now live and also on so much literature and culture of the romantic era 
Well, speaking of romance, let's go uh, into some stories here. I've got some uh, clippings I've uh, gleaned and selected from uh, the last weekend a little bit. And uh, what could be more romantic than a big shiny bauble, whether to give or to receive? And here is an item of interest. One bid scoops the largest gold coin for $4 million. Yes, a $4 million coin that uh, is just simply worth that much in its weight uh, in gold. The world's largest gold coin sold for $4 million at auction in Vienna yesterday, Jack Farkey writes in the Financial Times, as the price of gold rose to within a whisker of its all-time high. Oro Direct, a precious metals trading company based in Spain and privately owned by an Australian uh, Austrian family trust, made the only bid for the 100-kilogram Canadian maple leaf coin. Rare coins often fetch a premium to the value of the gold they contain, but in this case, the price paid was exactly that of the value of the gold content. Doris Crumple, spokeswoman for Dorotheum Auction House, said this showed, quote, you can't get much more than the actual gold price now because it's so high. Close quote. Yesterday, spot gold uh, gained 1% to $1,256.45, a troy ounce. Just short of the all-time nominal high of $1,264.90 set just the previous Monday. The coin is one of only five minted. One of the others is owned by the UK's Queen Elizabeth II, who, of course, is in Halifax today. If you were catching the CBC broadcast, you saw perhaps the uh, anxious faithful awaiting her arrival in the rain. Uh, Queen Elizabeth II, by the way, parenthetically, now uh, the longest reigning monarch in English history. She's beaten Queen Victoria now by uh, some number of years. Uh, but to continue with this interesting article, uh, Michael Berger, sales director for Oro Direct, said the company had brought the coin to demonstrate its belief in gold. Do you believe in gold? I believe in gold. And that it intended to put the coin on display in its headquarters in Valencia. Quote, we already made a nice profit because the gold price increased in the afternoon, he noted. No doubt chuckling. Um, that's a marginal profit, though, when you buy gold at such a high price. They believe in gold. I'm willing to wager. Uh, what they believe is not that gold will be of lasting value, which, of course, is proved uh, simply by the very fact that this coin exists, uh, but that it will in continue to increase in value and that gold is not going down uh, anytime soon if somebody in this position is shelling out for such an object, uh, a fetish object worth $4 million, and as it's what it becomes. Uh, Mr. Berger said that June had already been the strongest month in his company's history. Quote, it was absolutely crazy because in Spain there is a very big problem with the savings banks. There is even some panic. And, of course, panic is good for gold and gold investors. In other commodity markets, coffee, cocoa, and sugar all surged in price. Sugar uh, rising by uh, quite a bit in price, and we'll no doubt see the effect of that in some foodstuffs, uh, fortunately, mostly snack foods. Uh, however, there are a large number of Americans who seem to subsist on snack foods. 
one wonders what uh, rising prices in coffee, cocoa, and sugar might mean to the value of the world's largest chocolate coin, which perhaps was eaten over the weekend. Well, we all know that consumption is an economic engine, but the question remains, is pornography something which is consumed or is it a service? And pornography is going to become bigger and more available than ever before. In Stanley Pignell's article writing from Brussels, nudge, nudge, click, click, a nice little wink to Eric Idle from Monty Python, I think. Dot XXX becomes the World Wide Web's new red light district. Stanley Pignall writes, The World Wide Web will get its own red light district after the body that oversees the Internet structure said it would allow dot XXX dot triple X from this point on web addresses widely associated with sexually explicit content. The Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers, or ICANN, as opposed to can do. Uh, the nonprofit group that assigns internet names said it would move forward with the new suffix yesterday, putting an end to a seven year battle with ICM Registry, the US based company that has applied to run the domain. The first dot triple X website could go live within nine months. Interesting uh, figure of time there. According to Stuart Lawley, ICM's chairman, who says, 112,000 dot triple X addresses have already been reserved. Quote, I would conservatively say we will have 250,000 by the time we launch, if not closer to 500,000. Close quote. Mr. Lawley told the Financial Times, ICANN board, uh, ICANN's board had rejected calls for a dot triple X name twice since ICM's first request in 2004, but reviewed its decision after an outside panel questions its reasons for doing so. The dot triple X domain is one of the hundreds of new suffixes that are being created to rival dot com, dot net, and dot org, as well as national domains such as dot co, dot uk. Other registry companies are looking to register suffixes including dot eco, dot sport, dot news, and others, as the rules are relaxed in 2011. None will prove as contentious as dot triple X. Pornography is ubiquitous on the Internet, with the word sex accounting for a quarter of all searches. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. Are people so desperate and lonely? That's rather sad, isn't it? According to an estimate cited by ICM, the adult industry has been split over the idea of having a dedicated corner of the Internet, fearing it could be forced in the long term to move away from more conventional domains. But despite protests from conservative groups, mainly in the U.S., uh, a country more conservative uh, than Iran on its face, I'll hasten to remind listeners, ICANN reversed its decision to block the dot triple X suffix in a meeting in Brussels yesterday with a near unanimous vote of its board. Peter Thrush, ICANN's chairman, said prurience played no part in the approval process. Quote, we're not in the content business. That's up to national governments. What the applicant does with a web address is very much up to the applicant. He will have to deal with authorities over content.
That seems reasonable. As part of its lobbying campaign for the .XXX domain to be allowed, ICM has committed to label its content so it can be filtered more easily. It will impose an annual $10 levy per website, which will fund, in part, programs to prevent child access to pornography online. Although, it seems to me that children will be on the cutting edge of finding ways around such limits to access to these sites. Uh, children slash young adults, that is. Uh, Mr. Lawley continued uh, saying that the .XXX website registrations would cost $60 each for a far more than .com websites. And uh, there you have it. Is nothing sacred? Uh, increased internet access to porn. Well, is nothing sacred indeed. Sumo wrestling, uh, considered a ceremonial art form with uh, connections to religious significance, if not religiously significant in and of itself, uh, is under intense new scrutiny in Japan. As Muri Dickey writes, sumo gangsters face purge. What a great headline uh, this article uh, delivers. Japan's top police official called yesterday for action to rid the sumo wrestling world of links to Yakuza crime gangs as investigators arrested a former wrestler on suspicion of extortion and sponsors recoiled from the ancient but tarnished sport. The arrest of Mitsutomo Furiochi, a former contender in Sumo's Makushita 3rd Division, formed part of a widening scandal over alleged illegal gambling by scores of wrestlers, trainers, and associates that has prompted calls to cancel next month's summer tournament. This is like canceling uh, the World Series or something. This is a pretty big deal, culturally speaking. Uh, Japanese media quoted police sources as saying Mr. Furiichi, 38, was suspected of extracting uh, $39,000-odd in hush money from a high-ranked wrestler by threatening to expose his involvement in illegal gambling on baseball games. The scandal has highlighted persistent suspicions of links between members of the sumo world and the Yakuza, the semi-public crime families of Japan's underworld, which have wide influence in the legitimate economy. Oh, you mean like other uh, criminal family syndicates uh, everywhere else around the world? Yes, like that. The heads of two wrestler training stables were recently punished by the Jap Japan Sumo Association after police revealed they had allowed, here's the interesting part, they had allowed coveted ringside tickets allotted to them to fall into the hands of senior members of leading crime groups. Members of the Yamaguchi Gumi, Japan's most powerful Yakuza group, reportedly wanted the special seats so they would be visible to jailed comrades, including the syndicate's top boss, Kenichi Shinoda, who are permitted by prison authorities to watch state broadcaster NHK's live coverage of sumo tournaments. What a comforting notion to sit in prison and look at your associates sitting in the prime seats in the front row of the nationally televised matches. Uh, Takahiro Ando, head of National Police Agency, promised full support for efforts to drive organized crime out of a sport often seen to embody Japanese tradition. Quote, violent organizations must be cleaned right out of the sumo world, Mr. Ando told local media. 
Sumo was already reeling from the loss in February of its biggest star, the Mongolian grand champion, also Horyu, who was forced to retire after reports of a drunken assault outside a nightclub. Well, one would think that the National Football League might take a lesson from the uh, Sumo Association of Japan in how to better discipline its members. But uh, it's also worth remembering that back in 1966, when the Beatles played uh, the Budokan, uh, the first rock concert to be performed there, that there were a large number of protests uh, throughout uh, Tokyo uh, saying that this was disrespectful and that it tarnished and besmirched the uh, image and purity of sumo wrestling. Well, we see what that's worth in the end. Performance and spectacle are part of this next uh, interesting item, too. It's a theater review by Brendan Lemon from the 24th of June, and it's a review of a play now being staged in New York called When We Go Upon the Sea. And uh, what is this play about? Well, it's about ex-president George W. Bush awaiting trial as a war criminal. Here's uh, Brendan Lemon's review, which, by the way, gets three out of five stars. He's back, or rather, they're back. The George W. Bushes. Laura's memoir topped American bestseller lists all spring, and the ex-prez's volume, due in mid-November, so as not to disrupt the projected midterm prospects of his party, will presumably give the lie to the notion that he spent his time out of office taking a long siesta at the ranch in Texas. No, that was his presidency, Brendan Lemon. Ha, ha, ha. But neither Bush's book nor any of the courtier-like reenactments of the Bush presidency still rolling off the assembly line are likely to give us a W, piggishly snorting lines of coke and grunting happily through a session of sex with a curvy relaxationist of indeterminate national origin. For that, we, had, uh, we have had to wait uh, for When We Go Upon the Sea. Lee Blessing's 85-minute play commissioned by the Interact Theater Company and now off-Broadway at 59E59. Blessing does not counteract received notions of Bush as a brush-clearing, bike-riding, anti-sensualist. The sex happens offstage. Nor does it suggest that Bush has reverted to his sodden frat boy days, smirky with confidence that daddy will clean up any oil-spill-sized messes. Now, Bush indulges in sex and drugs in reaction to stress. He is parked at a seaside hotel suite in The Hague, where he's about to stand trial for war crimes. A solicitous Dutch concierge called Pete, a name that prompts Bush to riff jejunely about Mondrianish color patterns, there's a stretch, is there to ease the former president's preparation for the dock. When we go upon the sea isn't mere wish fulfillment for the anti-Bushies. It isn't good enough to put one securely in the mind of the ghost, Roman Polanski's similarly seasidey anti-idyll about Bush's partner in crime, a thinly-veiled Tony Blair. But neither is, when we go, an opportunity for mindless Bush bashing, or for a larkily comic Bush impersonation. As the ex-president, Conan McCarty is too skillful an actor to ask for easy laughs, and Blessing is too adept a dramatist to waste our time with an extended Saturday Night Live skit. The evening explores, with occasional insight, the interplay between powerful people and those who abetted their rise. Uh, 
The director, Paul Meshigen, keeps things moving. The play is not, unfortunately, rich enough in its treatment of this theme, nor deep enough in its exploration of what a war crimes trial would mean to cohere into something terribly memorable. And yet, I, for one, cheer the notion of even a contemplation of a war crimes trial for ex-president George W. Bush. We'll see if that play should grow legs and tour at all. Speaking of crimes and trials, there is a call for uh, extradition being urged in the Bhopal case. Indian ministers have called for the government to extradite Warren Anderson, former head of Union Carbide, and pursue liability claims against Dow Chemical as part of a new push for justice in the 1984 toxic gas leak that killed 15,000 people. Uh, anger over the disaster at a plant owned by Union Carbide's uh, Carbide subsidiary in Bhopal was revived this month after a court convicted seven former senior employees of death by negligence. They were sentenced to a mere two years in prison each. Well, corporate responsibility. It's interesting. Uh, corporates, uh, corporations seem to enjoy all the benefits of personhood, but none of the responsibilities or accountabilities. Uh, if I cause some horrible mishap in my backyard that damages all my neighbor's yards, I am responsible for that uh, as a person. But if I were a corporation, uh, it would be an entirely separate matter. It's hard to feel sympathy for corporations, but uh, somebody has to uh, be a little sentimental for the old corporate masters. And as Edward Luce writes, Republicans risk backlash over sympathy for BP. Uh, for the time being, shh, baby, shh, has replaced drill, baby, drill as the guiding Republican mantra on the U.S. energy debate. In the past few days, Democratic operatives have been scouring every Republican utterance for evidence the grand old party sympathizes with BP or hankers to restart offshore drilling as soon as possible. The evidence is not hard to find. In addition to Joe Barton, the Texan lawmaker who last week accused Barack Obama's administration of subjecting BP to a shakedown over the creation of a $20 billion escrow account, others have accused the White House of practicing extortion for having bypassed the judicial system to press BP to pay up in advance. At the weekend, Bob Ehrlich, the Republican candidate for governor of Maryland, angrily rebutted a Democratic advertisement that had called him, quote, Big Oil Bob, quote, for having allegedly lobbied for oil interests. Likewise, Michelle Bachman, a Republican lawmaker from Minnesota and star of the teabagger movement, said her opponents were, quote, scraping the bottom of the barrel, close quote, for highlighting her criticisms of Mr. Obama's handling of the crisis. In the advert, where Mrs. Bachman said her remarks were taken out of context, she was quoted as having said, quote, If I was the head of BP, I would let the signal get out there, we're not going to be chumps and we're not going to be fleeced. And they shouldn't be. They shouldn't have to be fleeced. That's her quote, Ms. Bachman. More significantly, the Republican Study Committee, a conservative group that includes House Republican lawmakers, said Mr. Obama had conducted a Chicago-style shakedown. Mr. Barton's sin was to have given voice to his views on primetime television rather than to have held such views in the first place. Quote, 
He says in his defense, quote, Unfortunately, it is not politically correct to stick up for the oil industry now, but we still need to point out a few home truths. Says Majda Murad, a former George W. Bush administration official, now at the Abraham Group. A prestigious sounding organization, an energy consultancy. Oh, no wonder it's got such an esteemed sounding name. Uh, the quote continues, we stuck up for the automobile industry because it provides thousands of jobs and we should do the same for the oil sector. Close quote. Well, I want to just insert here a question. Um, did we, did the Republicans support the uh, bailout for the auto industry? I don't think they did. I think the record will show that they saw it as a handout, that they saw it as something that would was buckling to unions and so forth. Uh, so this is a convenient uh, reappraisal here from an oil industry energy consultancy perspective. What do you expect? To continue with Edward Luce's article, many Republicans and some Democrats representing the affected Gulf states <clears throat> are critical of Mr. Obama's decision to impose a six-month moratorium on offshore drilling in the Gulf of Mexico, which they said unfairly penalized other companies for BP's poor safety record. Bobby Jindal, the Louisiana governor, yesterday asked a U.S. judge to lift the moratorium within 30 days to avoid, quote, turning an environmental disaster into an economic catastrophe, close quote. Uh, hold the phone here, uh, Governor Jindal. Isn't the environmental disaster in and of itself an economic catastrophe? Um, yes, there will be some jobs lost, uh, but we need to think about uh, new ways to give jobs to people or to provide jobs for people in industries that are accountable, responsible, and uh, competently run. At any rate, uh, the article continues, a ruling on that lawsuit, which is backed by the oil industry, is expected by tomorrow. Almost all Republicans were dismissive of Mr. Obama's plea last week to turn the oil spill into a teachable moment about the need to wean the U.S. off fossil fuels. They point out that more than 80% of America's energy still comes from oil, gas, and coal. Indeed, that's, that's a problem. Uh, tomorrow, Mr. Obama will meet senators in the Oval Office, blah de blah de blah and um, there you have it. Uh, there is an interesting uh, debate going to be happening in committee uh, in Congress the day after tomorrow as pertaining to a realignment and renaming and restaffing of the uh, watchdog organization charged with the duty of scrutinizing the oil industry. As Anna Fifield writes, um, June 25th, watchdog staff face jobs bar in oil industry. <clears throat> Sweeping changes to the U.S. oil industry watchdog outlined yesterday could see its top employees being banned from working for oil companies for life and drilling operators paying a fee to fund more inspections. That sounds like a great start. Even as it takes on a new name and head, the agency, previously known as the Minerals Management Service, now the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management Regulation and Enforcement, came in for renewed scrutiny yesterday during a hearing of the Senate's Energy and Natural Resources Committee, which oversees it. 
quote, if we do this right, it is my hope that we can see tangible results on all fronts and to shift away from the cascade of failures that led to the Deepwater Horizon accident and towards work of the highest quality, said Jeff Bingaman, Democratic chairman of the committee, putting forward a bill to overhaul the agency. It was co-sponsored by Lisa Murkowski, the ranking Republican on the committee. Yay, bipartisanship. The bill would levy an as-yet-unspecified fee on the industry so that the agency could hire more and better qualified inspectors to oversee rig operations. Ken Salazar, Secretary of the Interior, whose department includes the watchdog, told the committee that the agency needed to hire an additional 330 inspectors to be able to meet the increased need to inspect drilling rigs and to conduct environmental reviews of drilling plans. Mr. Salazar said the number of inspectors working in the agency, only 62, was extraordinarily and woefully inadequate. The bill would increase the requirements for operators to cover the damages they may cause and raise the levels of civil and criminal fines payable. Here, here. It will also make every offshore operator provide risk assessments and detailed plans. Oh, there you go plans. We would actually require them to have plans for responding to the loss of well control and cleanup operations. Well, there's a great idea. <laughs> Boy, lease sales will be limited to operators who have fully met safety, environmental, and due diligence responsibilities on current operations and which have paid all damages caused in any prior accidents. This legislation is too good to be true. Uh, we'll see what happens in committee here. As the Obama administration has sought to place responsibility for the Gulf of Mexico oil spill on BP, the operator of the well, it has been acutely embarrassed by evidence of improprieties at the drilling watchdog. U.S. President Barack Obama, who criticized the cozy relationship between the agency and the oil and gas industry, has already separated the watchdog's revenue and royalty collection agents activities from its leasing, environmental protection, and safety functions. In addition to renaming the agency, the administration also appointed Michael Bromwich, former inspector general in the Justice Department and a former prosecutor, to head it. Ron Wyden, Democratic senator from Oregon, proposed a one-year ban on agency employees going to work for oil companies they once regulated. The final wording of the bill will be debated by the committee next Wednesday before it is put to the vote. That is... Uh, the day after tomorrow. So it's Wednesday this week. Uh, so let's hope for the best on uh, legislation that could compel uh, one of the most abusive uh, corporate entities, uh, collection of entities, that is the oil business, uh, to be more responsible. Let's hope for the best. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks to Andrew for engineering. And keep it tuned here for Yazoo City Calling is coming up next. That's Montana Taylor in the background at the 88s doing a song called Detroit Rocks. Telling you it's time for Yazoo City Calling here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is Jerry Mack, your host this evening for an hour-long excursion into the land of Delta Blues and early urban blues. Performed and lived by the men and women who started it all. Recording it on vinyl in the early 
and mid 20th century. Pretty much totally acoustic is the format for this show. And this is from a collection called Shake Your Wicked Knees, Red Parties and Good Times on the Yazoo label. The host label for our show just about every evening, although we sample plenty of the other labels who delve into this historic good old down-home blues. Well, it's a beautiful Monday evening in the summertime. We hope you're enjoying whatever you're doing this evening. 